The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Beautiful music this morning. Isaiah 53. So we make our way this week to answer the question, is there any hope of deliverance from the judgment to come? We find our answer in this great Old Testament prophet, chapter 53. Last week we spoke about the fact that uh, God must judge our sin and disobedience. And for those that don't put their faith and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, there is eternal destruction to come. And so we want to look this week at the question now is, what is our hope? Is there any way of escape from that? Today I want to deal with just verse 10 through verse number 12, but as I came up here I just sensed that Maybe we should read the entire chapter together. If, you, uh, if you've never read this chapter, I want to encourage you to read it. Make this a part of your life. It, of course, is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This prophet wrote 700 years before Jesus was ever born, and yet it is completely accurate about His life and death and resurrection. So let me read out loud for us, and you read along silently. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed." All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and we afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. And these verses for today. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. 
if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded the transgressors. Let us pray today. Our Father, we come to You and we worship before You. And we allow this beautiful and wonderful, majestic text to speak to us of Your Son, of His life and death and burial and resurrection, ascension and intercession for those who believe. I pray now that You would be present with us in this very moment. And that you would drive home the truth to believers of the necessity and the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That every believer in this room would walk out of here today, not with the assurance that their temporal circumstances shall change, but in the eternal rock of Jesus Christ that despite our circumstances, we have a hope everlasting in Christ alone. I pray for the unbelieving person in here today, church member or visitor alike, that does not have the assurance of their sins being washed away and having been given a new heart by Jesus Christ. I pray that you would sit beside them and open their hearts and minds and souls to embrace the gospel of Jesus, to see afresh Christ crucified upon the cross risen and returning, that you would break through the veil and give us new life. And insomuch that you do all of these things, we worship you and honor you and give you thanks. For you alone are worthy. For it is in the name of Jesus we do pray these things. Amen. Hope is like heroin to the hostage. That was the tagline in an article that I read online last week. And so when you see a line that says, hope is like heroin to the hostage, you turn your attention and say, what in the world could be in this article? And so as I started reading, it was the story, you might have read it yourself, the story of a journalist who wanted to kind of chart and, and um, tell the biography of uh, Somalian pirates. And so uh, he, in the process of doing that, he found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he himself was taken hostage by Somali pirates for two solid years. His mother was contacted and asked to pay a $10 million ransom, and of course that did not happen. Eventually, uh, this journalist was released at the ransom payment, but his life was torn apart, and in the middle of the article, he said, the only way that I could possibly survive was to give up all hope. 
He said, because hope is like, uh, hope is like heroin to a hostage. Every week they would say, you're going to be released, you're going to be released, you're going to be released. And I would ride this roller coaster up and down of wanting to be released from my captivity. And finally, I just realized that the only way to survive something like that is to have no hope at all. Brothers and sisters, as I read that article, uh, my heart grieved. There was a cringing on the inside because what I came to understand is that the problem is not hope itself, but where his hope lies. He was looking for hope in the government or in the FBI or in a certain amount of money or in the benevolence of those Somali pirates to eventually let him go. And all of us in this room would say, there's been times in my life where I felt like hope was like that, where I wanted something, I wanted something, I wanted something, and it didn't work out, and it didn't work out, and so I just wanted to give up hope. But brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the problem with that is that you're looking to the temporal for hope rather than looking to the eternal Lord Jesus Christ for our eternal, eternal hope in this life and in the life to come. Amen? Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And He is not only good enough for the future, He is not only good enough for heaven. Jesus Christ satisfies and brings hope and floods the soul with rejoicing and hope and glory in the middle of heartbreaking circumstances. The problem is not in our hope. The problem is where is our hope? And in who are you trusting and putting your hope. This Bible text speaks to us today. Is there hope of escape for the judgment? Well, I would say to you today, there is hope, and it is found at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today from this text, verse 10 through verse number 12, I just want to give you a few thoughts to think about. The first one is this. Our hope in Jesus Christ is built upon the foundation of the uncomfortable sovereignty of God. Our hope for this life and the next is built upon the uncomfortable sovereignty of God. That God is in complete control of all things universal and personal. That God is both transcendent and imminent. And in your life and in every nation, He is in absolute control of all things at all times. He is the one who rules the world. Look at the text. Look at how verse number 10 brackets itself. It begins and it ends in the same way. But the Lord, you see, was pleased to crush him. And look at the last part. And the good pleasure of the Lord will be in his hand. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our lives, we must give ourselves over and say that God is the one in control. The Bible does say in the New Testament that Jesus Christ was put to death by the hands of ungodly men, but they did so at the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of the God of heaven. He he is in control of all things, even of the death and the resurrection of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what it says here. Not only does it say that the Lord was pleased to crush Him, but you'll notice in verse number 11, the Father says that He is my servant. Not your servant, not our servant, not Israel's servant, but He does the work, the Son does the work that the Father sends Him to do. 
Salvation is in the hands of an almighty God who is sovereignly in control of all things. It is His good pleasure to send His Son to die for the sins of those who would believe. And it is His servant that comes to die for us. And then you'll notice in the text, he also says in verse number 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. Three times here, it is the Father who says, This is my plan. I am the way one who is working these things out. Salvation is of the Lord, so the prophet Jonah says. And our hope is built upon the sovereignty and the power and the control of an almighty God. And if you're in this room today, I want you to understand a few things. If you're here and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, the only way you will ever become a believer in Jesus Christ is if God allows you to. I can preach a a sermon from the Word. We can open up the altars. But you do not get saved when you want to. You only can get saved if God allows you to. He is the author of salvation. He is the one who is in control. The cross was His work. Everything is in His hands. And if we come to faith in Christ, we do so at His bidding. I want you to know today that you are not in control of your salvation. Yes, you must put your faith in Christ. And yes, there is a responsibility. But too many people look at Christianity and the cross and salvation in Jesus and Christianity as if somehow one day that sounds really good and I'll make that a part of my life when I'm good and ready to do that. It might be too late for you when you want to do that. You don't get saved when you want to. You get saved when God allows you to. I see, brothers and sisters, and everybody that's in this room today, I know this is a hard message for you to take, but what I want you to understand is the issue here is not whether you will receive Jesus. The issue is whether Jesus will receive your humble, poor, beggarly, wicked plea for Him to save you. And the problem with most of Christianity and the problem with the world is that we are giving them a message that says, you, Jesus, is at your beck and call as if He is on a buffet line and you can take what you want and leave what you don't. And the message is this. You must fall out today pleading and desiring and seeking for God to have mercy upon your soul. God does not stand in need of you. You stand in need of you. Of him. Won't you let that sit in for a moment? Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, the issue is not whether Jesus would be a good addition to your life. The issue is whether he will receive you. God is absolutely, sovereignly in control of all things even the cross. Now let me talk to you for a moment. Sometimes in this room, when we talk, and I know I've got some theological students in here, and Christians that have heard about Calvinism and Arminianism and this all these kinds of things. And wow, did Pastor just lay down the gauntlet and say he's a Calvinist? No, that's not what Pastor said at all. 
What pastor said is that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And here's what I want you to know. If you're a believer in this room, sometimes the sovereignty of God comes across to you as if it's something harsh or that it's something that God's some sort of tyrannical ruler out there that doesn't take into consideration the humanity that he made and the ability to choose to believe on Jesus Christ. What I want you to understand is the doctrine of the sovereignty and the control of God ought to give every believer in all the world absolute peace and comfort and strength. Because instead of ruling the world yourself or trying or dying to do it, you ought to realize that the whole world is in God's hands, not yours. And that God is sovereign, but God is holy and good and righteous. And you can trust a sovereign God to do what is right all the time. Amen? In the 1950s, uh, there's this um, British boy, uh, uh, he, and, and he wrote this, uh, or he didn't write this song, but he sang it, Laurie London. Maybe some of our older folks might remember Laurie London in the 50s. Uh, he, he sang this song, he, and he's got the whole world in his hands. Has anybody ever heard that song? Made it popular. And uh, it was kind of coming out of the 40s with World War II and, and then the Cold War and the whole world seemed to be on edge. And, and so the song had been written long before that, but Lori London sang the song, became famous, all this kind of stuff. But you know, with the Cold War and out of World War II and all of the things that are going on in the world, people needed to hear some sort of song that God has the whole world in His hands. You know, humanity was never made to bear the weight of the world. Did you know that? And you weren't made to bear the weight of of your own sin and your own life. God is in absolute control and the best thing you can do is learn to rest and trust that the whole world is in the hand of God. A song was written probably 150 years before in the south in the slave fields when men and women who had not freedom and were beaten and weren't even recognized as human beings, wrote the song, He has the whole world in His hands. Whatever you're going through today, and wherever you are, I want you right now to understand that when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ, He is in absolute control. But it's a loving, tender, Gracious control. Look at verse 10. Let me show you a few things. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. The word pleased here doesn't mean some sort of maniacal, you know, finger tapping. Uh, God was, you know, happy that Jesus died. No, the please that, is go- please that is going on in this text simply means that when God looked down through history, he realized that the men and women and boys and girls who did not put their faith in Christ, that we were sinners, that we were going to die, that there was eternal judgment to come. And so it pleased the Lord to give all of us an opportunity for salvation. And it came at the expense of his own son who would die for us. Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief, actually making him ill. When Jesus dies on the cross, there's a crushing that takes place there. There there, there is his dying and there's this illness, there's the grief of our sin that is in him. If he would render himself as a guilt offering for us, he will see his offspring 
and He will prolong His days. When it says there, He will see His offspring, that's a reference to the resurrection. So Jesus goes to the cross and He dies, but He will see His offspring. The only way for a human being to see their offspring is to be alive. Isn't that right? That's basic logic. And He will prolong His days, meaning He will last forever. He is eternal. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Make no mistake about it today. The hope that we have is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is built upon the sovereign control of God. And if God was in control of the cross, God is in control of your life. And if Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and He says, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I will drink the cup of agony. I will bear the cross of shame. And I will die trusting that the sovereign hand of my Father will do what's right. You can trust Jesus Christ today that the sovereignty of God, His control, His power is alive and well in your life. Trust the Lord in whatever's going on in your life. Believe on Him. Surrender to Him. Come to Him. So Pastor Steve, do you, do you, do you uh, getting into this, do you still believe that, that, we have to, we, we, uh, that we have to believe or we have to choose? Absolutely. Because what I would tell you is simply that God is so sovereign that He is allowed to create human beings who can respond in faith to the cross. There's nothing outside of God he is in absolute control. He is the Father of eternity. And He looks to us and He says, I want you to trust in the cross. I want you to trust in Jesus Christ because I am in control of all this. Yes, the hands of wicked men put Jesus to death, but it is my design and plan to take all of your sin and put into Jesus that I might put His righteousness into your life. Let me say a second point today. The hope that we have is not only in the uncomfortable sovereignty of God. It is in the staggering suffering of the servant. If we had time to read back through Isaiah 53, you would see and you probably notice that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he had all of these wounds, that he was beaten with a cat of nine tails, and they had a crown of thorns plunged upon his head. And The Bible says that he was marred beyond the recognition of a man, that he was turned inside out, that he was physically beaten and brutalized. And when Jesus hung on the cross, it was not a pretty scene. It was not something to picture in a picture somewhere in an art gallery, but it was a type of scene that you would turn your face from. It was the kind of scene that you would not allow your children to view. I'm telling you, when Jesus died, it was an immense, physical, torturous pain. But our text today in verse 10 through 12 emphasizes far more than the physical pain, does it not? Look at what it says. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. How? By grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. Look at verse number 11. As the result of the anguish of his soul. 
Brothers and sisters, what I want you to understand is that when Jesus went to the cross, there was immense physical torturous pain. But far beyond the physical pain was the soul pain that Jesus bore. Your sin and my sin and the wrath and the judgment of God on the very inside of the Son of the living God taking all of our sin into Himself and dying there on the cross. The anguish of His soul, the grief of His spirit, the lights of eternity go out and there's darkness in the land. Why? Because he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because my sin is in Jesus. Your sin is in Jesus on the cross. Yes, beaten and bloody, soulishly turned inside out for you. He who knew no sin became sin. That we might have the righteousness of God. On you, you see somebody like Ted Bundy. You see somebody like an Al-Qaeda soldier. You watch a terrorist around the world set somebody on fire in a cage. And you whisper to yourself this week, Jesus took that in Himself. And He took every sin that you've ever committed into Himself. Let me tell you this, my friends. Never remove the shock of Calvary or it becomes incapable of inflicting wounds and healing wounds. Never remove what happened at the cross. Never get far away from turning away and fearfully looking at what happened to Jesus on the cross. See there with your mind and your heart the Son of the living God, innocent and beautiful and wonderful and holy and righteous and eternal, dying there in shame for you and for me. The beaten back, the bloodied brow, the nails, the piercing of the heart, all of that and all of your sin. The anguish of His soul was for us. Let that sit deep within you. You belong on the cross, not Jesus. Why? Because it inflicts the wounds that you need right now. That deep within you are a sinner come short of the glory of God in need of salvation. And the healing power of the cross that you'll never save yourself, but Jesus died that you might have everlasting life. Look at verse number 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. You might also be able to say there that he will a lot, or he will give the great as his portion, and he will divide the strong.
to Him. When Jesus is exalted into eternity, everything comes under Him. By Him the worlds will be judged. By Him is the eternal reward. Jesus is the exalted Christ forever. And let me make one more point today and we'll finish. Our hope is in the sovereignty of God at the cross. That Jesus did not just die as a martyr. That Jesus was not just a good rabbi who said the wrong thing and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. God sent His Son into the world to die for us. Our hope is in the staggering suffering of Jesus on the cross. That as a result of His anguish, He will see the light and be satisfied. And by His knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many. Jesus died and was rose again. And our hope is in this. The sure salvation of His people. The sure salvation of His people. Look at verse number 11 again. As a result, right... The, the, the results of the anguish of his soul, the results of Calvary, not the hope, the accomplishment of Calvary, is that he will see it. That some of you might see that it says he, he will see the light that is that he's resurrected and he's satisfied with what happens upon Calvary. When Jesus Christ goes to the cross, he does not go hoping that people will believe, he goes accomplishing the salvation for those who will believe. He will see it and be satisfied. And by His knowledge, what does that mean? Not, not, not some sort of mental ascent. It is by the knowledge of the anguish of His soul. It is by the experience of the cross. The righteous one, my servant, He will justify the many. You'll probably notice there in your Bible that there is a definite article in front of that. He will justify the many. Jesus said this in the New Testament, all that the Father gives me, I will lose none. He accomplishes our salvation. I will justify them as He will bear their iniquities. Let me read to the end of verse number 12. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide it with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressions. The sure salvation of his people. Brothers and sisters, I tell you today, there are a few thoughts that come from that. The first is this. You ought to be thinking today about how deep your sinfulness and helplessness is. 
When you read Isaiah 53 and you see the pain and the agony and the torture and Jesus dying for our iniquities and you say, God in His sovereignty and His power, could He have not written salvation in the sky? Could He have not sent an angel somewhere? Could He have not provided another manner? And when you realize that God's sovereignty, realize, realize that the only way to redeem humanity was to send His Son to die this kind of death, every human being in this room ought to bow low in our hearts and say, what kind of wicked, sorry sinners are we that it requires the blood of the Son to save us? And if you're in this room today, and maybe you're a believer, and you wore the right clothes, and you have the right Bible, and you've been in church all your life, and you're thinking, he just called me a poor, sorry sinner. I'm not that. You are that. We are that. Every day of your life, you sin and come short of the glory of God. And if you can't see that, the one prayer request you ought to have today is, God, show me how awful I am. Show me how helpless I am. Show me how in need I am. Why would I go on trying to save myself when you sent your Son to die for me? If you could save yourself, why did Jesus die? If you could be holy as God, why would Jesus die this death? Jesus comes because we're bad people. Jesus comes because we're faltering people. Jesus comes because we're broken people. And if you're in this room today and you are broken and you are bad, I tell you the good news, the good news is that Jesus died for bad people that you could put your faith in Him and He would give you a new heart to take out your old heart. He would give you joy, unspeakable and full of glory, peace that passes all understanding. There is help at the cross. Come to Jesus today and let Him be the Savior of your life. Please do that. And if you're a believer, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungry and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Do you tell yourself the old, old story every week of your life? Do you live tomorrow out of the truth that you're wicked and God's great and Jesus is at the cross and you live every day for Him out of His goodness and mercy? Come to Jesus. Saved and lost alike. Come to Jesus. The cross is the crossroads of history. Find your redemption in Him. I would tell you that the salvation, the sure salvation of His people, remind us of the transforming power of the gospel. Amen. You want to know something interesting? Go back and read this text. <laughs> the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And what does it say in verse number uh, 10? He will see His offspring. We go out like sheep and we come back like sons. There's a transforming nature to the Gospel. It moves people from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His dear Son. I want to say to you, and this is for my church members here today as well too, all of us in here together, Pastor Steve loves you, but I want you to know this. You need this kind of truth in your life. If your salvation experience that you're holding to has not produced in you true heart change, if you're not different 
on this side of your conversion than you were before. You are lost. You cannot come into the saving power of Jesus and walk away the same person. You can't. Nobody ever meets Jesus in a saving way and leaves the same. It's transforming. It's transforming in the moment and it's transforming day by day. Look what it says at the end of verse 12. We're almost done. You see where it says, and interceded. It's past tense there. This is actually a present tense. And intercedes for the transgressors. The reason why it's in past tense is it's a past perfect. What it means is at the cross, Jesus interceded us, interceded for us in the moment. He died for our sins, took all of them into himself, paid the penalty on the cross. Jesus interceded in the moment of Calvary, but it's ongoing so that every day of the believer's life, Jesus is interceding for us and transforming him with our face unveiled as we went over in Sunday school today. Our face has been unveiled. We are looking into the mirror and we see the Lord Jesus Christ who is now inside of us and day by day from glory to glory, from faith to faith, we are becoming more like Him so that one day when you look into the mirror, you'll not see that middle-aged, half-balding, sorry sinner. I'll see more and more of Jesus as life progresses. You ever talk to a really old, old saint of God and it almost seems like their skin glows with Jesus. It's because they're pretty close to being in His presence. And from glory to glory, they've been being transformed from the inside out. And the outer man is decaying. And the inner one is being renewed day by day. And when you get around them, you just feel like you're around Jesus. That's what your life and my life ought to look like. It's the sure salvation of His people. I tell you today, there's been some times in my life where hope has felt like heroin. Up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And I want to tell you something. There'll be some things in your life that you'll pray about and you'll never see come to pass. And that hurts. But I want to tell you from an eternal perspective, our great hope, not wringing of the hands, wishing something would work out, our well-founded, well-grounded expectation is that God, in His marvelous sovereignty, sent His Son into the world to die an awful death, bearing our sins, and that three days later, that Son of God came up out of the grave alive, flesh and bone. And He lives today interceding for His people. And if you come to Him and say, will you receive me? Not I, not I want you. I'll take you as long as I can have my life the way you want it. I'll take you as long as you fit into the compartments that I want. Will you, will you please, will you please take me? You come to Him like that. 
And you ask Him to save you. And you give your whole life to Him. And He will give you His sure salvation. And you can walk every day of your life with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment. Uh, and I just pray that Jesus would be right there with you. I pray He'd be right there. Um, I don't know everybody in this room. Not every sermon's like this. But my heart's been heavy this week for you. And if you're here, I don't care whether you've been here a long time or a short time or just today. And Jesus is here and He really, He really does want you to trust Him. I say, Steve, how do I do that? You don't have to have any formula or memorized plan. Why don't you just talk to Him in your own words? I've been running from you. I've been doing my own thing. I need you. I really do. I confess that I'm a sinner. Will you please save me? Will you turn the light on inside me? And trust Him. Just trust Him. And He died for you and rose again. I pray for my believing friends here today. Oh, that's a good story. It's a good truth. We've got to live our lives out of that truth every day. Won't you talk to Him right now? Say, Lord, help me to remember that every day this week. To trust You and to live for You because of what You've done for me. Let's stand together and sing a song together. Altars are open. If you want to come and pray, are you welcome to pray? Why are you? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.